Wow. Well, speaking of family and church family, uh, it's been an, a powerful week in our lives and an interesting week. Um, uh, on Tuesday night, if you joined us, I hope you got a chance to join us as we just opened up the church every evening for three hours at a time. It was a beautiful time of just waiting before God. And, and again, if you didn't get a chance to be a part of that in all of our communications, you can get the little worksheet that we journaled through. And, uh, but on Tuesday night, I was up here with my daughter and son-in-law and their youngest uh, as they had had some pre-labor pains over Christmas. So instead of going back to Washington, D.C., they stayed. Laura took the little boys back to school. And uh, as we're here on Tuesday night taking communion, Abby uh, begins to say, you know, these, these uh, labor pains, I think it's the real deal. And uh, so we took communion at 7.30 and just said, amen, got home, and they went over to the birth center where they were going to have the baby, and she had the baby by 9.15. So uh, this is the place for acceleration. There's our little Ellie Grace. Uh, that is day one. That's day two. And um, it's just such a joy uh, to have them with us. And I always want to uh, unapologetically rejoice with family over family. Um, so that's one family thing, beautiful from this past week. And good thing I got here on but Monday night late, because uh, I was in Mexico with our pastoral team. Think about a picture of us. Uh, we were doing outreach in Oaxaca, Mexico. I just want to say for our pastoral team, you guys, they love you. These guys uh, are incredible men and women of integrity, and they are just uh, uh, the best. I mean, we are so blessed to have this pastoral team in our midst. And we took them on a five-day outreach to Oaxaca, Mexico, where we preached the gospel, saw many people make decisions to follow Jesus. We prayed for the sick, saw God do some very unique miracles. In one of the uh, 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 days in particular, um, Doug Lee, one of our zone pastors, uh, was uh, praying for this woman who had an ear that had been, she had been deaf in for 37 years. She had an accident when she was eight years old. And as we preached that uh, afternoon out on the streets, we felt that God was saying he wanted to open an ear that was, uh, that was a person that was deaf. And so uh, Doug said to Zach Jones, hey, Zach, you want to get in on this? And Zach said, of course. So Zach puts his hand on the lady's ear, and then Doug puts his hand on top of uh, Zach's hand, and they begin to pray for her. And as they pray for her, they both felt a tangible pop. Now, I, it's been a rare thing that when I prayed for the sick that I've had that experience, and they were just as surprised as anybody else. They're saying, did you feel that? Did you feel that? And through the translator, the lady's eyes got real wide, and she could hear perfectly. So... 38 years, she's 45 years old, uh, 37 years, excuse me, it had been, and God restored her fully. And of course, as a believer, it renewed her faith. And then as we were able to share that with others, people came to Christ because of the signs and wonders of God. Anyway, it's been a full and a rich, rich week. So um, as we all kind of look to the new year, I wrote down a few questions that I thought might be going on in our hearts and our minds. Here's a few questions I, I, I wrote down. Maybe you're here today and you're saying to yourself, I need a miracle. Hey, good for that lady. What about me? <laughs> I'm here today and I'm desperate. 
And I know that even people watching online, for everything from depression to suicidal thoughts to just the anguish and challenge, you need a miracle. And as Jason uh, shared with us, these little cards, if you didn't get a chance to fill it out yet, fill it out. Drop it in the bucket. If you're online, you can just let us know what your need is that you're praying for. We're going to contend with you for that physical, mental, financial breakthrough that you need. Maybe you're just uh, like we were so many times uh, in our uh, raising our kids that life is so busy. I'm just, how do I keep up with the school and the sports and the art lessons and the after school activities? And then everybody wants me to be missional and seeking God. It's almost impossible to do it all at the same time. Maybe you're just overwhelmed and you need a breakthrough. Maybe a little deeper. Maybe your question is, are my relationships that were broken last year still going to be broken this year? It could be a marriage. It could be a friendship. It could be a loved one. It could be someone that you work with. And, and maybe you're just at that place. I just can't do this another year. I need a breakthrough. And maybe one last one. Am I ever going to change? Or am I going to be enough this year for somebody? Man, I hope that covered everybody. It spoke to me. And the beautiful thing about God is that he knows the answer to every one of those questions. He knows what's going on in you. He sees all, he knows all, and he cares about every intimate detail of your life. He literally numbered the hairs on your head, let alone knows the thoughts and reasonings of your heart. And God in his mercy and in his grace has a way forward. I can't guarantee that your circumstances will change, but what I can guarantee is that God wants to be in the middle of your circumstances, ruling and reigning, giving you strength to endure and victory to find grace in the the midst of the journey, if not external victory in those things that concern you the most. We have a God who sees, a God who knows, a God who cares. And so we're constantly realigning our hearts to him. We're constantly leaning into the people of God. We're constantly saying, oh Lord, you lead, you guide direct, because we need him ruling and reigning in our lives. We last semester used this little phrase in response to prayer. We want to be a people of union with God, communion with one another, and partnership for his assignment and purpose in our lives. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of lay the template for the year. And there's three things we're going to do. Everybody say three things. First of all, I'm going to give you the big picture. Everybody say big picture. Secondly, I'm going to give you the now need, now need, everybody say now need. <laughs> and thirdly, we're going to take communion. So I'm going to give you the big picture. We're going to talk about the now need, and then we're going to take communion as our act of faith to respond to the word of the Lord to us uh, as a community. So here's the big picture. If you can throw the big arc up there. We've been on a journey since 2021. We felt that God led us to go on a five-year journey of just responding and letting him lead and guide us through uh, his purpose and his plan. There's nothing magical about 2025, uh, but we do believe that if we respond to God in 2023 or 2022, if you respond to God all along the way, then at the end of 2025, we will be right in the middle of what God has created us for. 
whether that's individually, whether that's families, or whether that's us as a church family. So the first year we talked about uh, pruning and that whole idea of surrender. And let me just say it again to you. If you have felt pruned, like literally the shearers are out and ah, everything seems to be being cut back, remember God's desire designed for pruning is for more fruitfulness. If in the pruning you lean into God instead of pull away from God, then there is more fruit for you, even if it wasn't the initial design of God, desire of God, and how you got there. Pruning always leads to fruitfulness for those who lean towards God. So we, we really attended to that. And again, these are always ongoing things. But year two was about prayer. We called it Ignite the Boiler Room. And, and God, how do you put fire in our hearts, our homes, our families? What does prayer look like? How do we become a house of prayer individually and as a community? And we've been leaning into that. And we made a lot of headway, but there's a long way to go here. But the beautiful thing about God is he is always forever present. These are not just linear check boxes. These are ongoing things of union, communion, and partnership with God. And in 2023, as we sought the Lord really for our Antioch movement worldwide and specifically here locally, we deeply landed on God's call to us to contend for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, as it says in Ephesians 4, that there is a union, unity that God is calling us to. And again, I will keep repeating this praise phrase, excuse me, praise to God, and phrase uh, until we get it, is that unity ultimately, again, is union with God. I want to be in unity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to be so one with God that, that uh, in Him I live and move and have my being. Communion with one another. I want to be right with the people of God, right with my friendships, right with my uh, family. I want to be right with God, the communion of the saints, not only with friends here locally, but the body of Christ at large. And I want to be in partnership with God's mission to seek and save the lost so that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, wherever God isn't, he will be present with a witness for his glory. These, this is what we talk about when we say, what is unity for us? Union with God, communion with one another, and partnership uh, with his mission. Now, these three key scriptures um, we, we want to put up here um, uh, is John 17, uh, Acts 2, and Ephesians 4. These are the frameworks that we're going to be working through uh, this month of the month of consecration. We're going to be dealing with that in here in just a moment. Uh, and then starting in February, we will literally journey through the year, unpacking Jesus' prayer in John 17, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And here's the thing about the prayers of Jesus. Everybody listen it will be answered. Jesus' prayers get answered every time. <laughs> His prayers get answered, and he said, Father, make them one, as you and I, and as we, as we of the Trinitarian beauty of God, as we are one, make them one so that the world will know that you have sent me. So there is this beauty of God. Jesus' prayer will be answered, but he's looking for a people to partner with him in that prayer. And we're going to be that people by the grace of God. And then we have the, the Acts 2 was the coming of the Holy Spirit that made unity possible. Because it is impossible in the flesh to be unified ultimately for any period of time apart from the Spirit of the living God. So God sends the Holy Spirit so the promise is possible. And we see in Acts 2 the people of God living that out.
And then Ephesians 4, of course, the whole book of Ephesians, of course, the whole Bible, by the way. But in Ephesians 4, there, there is this, this centrality of one faith, one baptism, one people that unites us with the body of Christ, but also gives us some clarity to equip in such a way that we are a mature man knitted unto Jesus, union with him, and communion with one another for his glory. So that's the big picture that we're going to be unpacking as we lean in. And just for a little encouragement, after we had kind of landed on this, um, this um, uh, leadership of God for unity, I was out in uh, California at a conference on world missions, and um, we had written down these three scriptures, John 17, Acts 2, and Ephesians 4, and uh, many of you guys are familiar with Rick Warren, a dear leader uh, in the body of Christ, and he was the first speaker at this conference, and he, and he started the conference by this. He said, this moment is about unity in the body of Christ, and if we're going to see world evangelization happen in our lifetime, unity is paramount, and there are three Three key scriptures, John 17, Acts 2, and Ephesians 4. Woo! I wanted to stand up and shout, you're finally right, Rick Warren, but that would have been the opposite, right? I just felt humbled to be in the same room with him and that God was speaking the same thing. That's the body of Christ. God has a word for us, not just locally, but for the community uh, of God. So be encouraged. That's the big picture. Now let's go to the now response. Um, we have uh, this whole month set aside for what we've called set apart, a month of consecration. And it comes from a, a, a scripture that God spoke to us so clearly at the end of December is kind of the catalyst because when there's right surrender, everything's possible. But without right surrender, even these words of unity and the promises of God, we don't get there when we're self-directing our life. And so God spoke to us so clearly out of a unique passage in Isaiah 33. So if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah 33. We're going to unpack verses 20 through 22, and let me read that. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Isaiah 33, starting verse 20. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an undisturbed habitation, a tent which will not be folded. Its stakes will never be pulled up nor any of its cords be torn apart. But there the majestic one, you just gotta pause whenever you say that. There the majestic one, the Lord, will be for us. A place of rivers and wide canals on which no boat with oars will go and on which no mighty ship will pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king and he will save us. Isn't that a great promise? Whenever we see um, God speaking through the prophets, and in this case, Isaiah, there is always a mirror or companion New Testament outcome of that. So even as there's metaphors and unique language that is used and maybe some things that we may not fully understand, those prophetic voices are speaking of Jesus. They're speaking of the church and they're speaking of God's ultimate will for mankind. So we draw deeply as, as the New Testament admonishes us, we learn lessons and we get words from God from the Old Testament to pull forward into our new covenant reality and we can be confident that what God spoke in the past is being lived out in the present through his people and through his church. So how, this is what I want to do. Now let me unpack this for us kind of verse by verse. So 
starting verse 20. Look upon Zion, the city of appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an undisturbed habitation. Whenever they speak of Zion and Jerusalem, they are speaking of that place of meeting with God. Let us go to the temple in Jerusalem where God's presence dwells in the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go individually. Let's bring our families. Let's go to this meeting place of God. And it was housed in an external temple. But in the New Covenant, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the people of God gathered are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the body of Christ at large is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to do the Israel tour to meet with God, though I would encourage it. It's beautiful and it will help you see God in a fresh way, but you don't have to go to Jerusalem or to Mount Zion to meet with God because Mount Zion and Jerusalem has come to you. Woo, that's good. So then wherever you go, the temple of God is present by the grace of God. And whenever we gather in his name, we, we have that opportunity to reflect and experience God together as his community. So I love this little phrase, your eyes will see Jerusalem, the people of God, or the meeting place of God in an undisturbed habitation. So the first takeaway I want you to, to, to get is we lean in together and surrender to God to lay the table for unity. We are leaning into one another to find rest. When the people of God are gathered around the person of God and one another in a holy way, there is undisturbed habitation. It is a place of rest. I had many people this week who came up during these kind of three hours every evening. We would just take a little sheet to meditate on Scripture. People would sit down individually, couples, life groups. Uh, they just came and sat here. I uh, was here two evenings. I was up in the bowl area just being so ministered to, watching people meet with God. We had no preacher, no teaching. There were just Scriptures on the side. But here was a common response when I walked in, I started to cry because I felt the peace of God. That's what, we, that's what it's all about, right? May that be my home. May that be every time we gather. May you walk into this place. And because Jesus is exalted and the people of God are leaning into one another around him, there will be shalom. There will be rest for the people of God. That's a beautiful promise from God. And he is inviting us into that. The next little phrase in Isaiah thirty-three twenty: if God says that my people will have rest, undisturbed habitation, a place to dwell together in my presence called the church, which would be the New Testament equivalent, and then this promise, a tent which will not be folded, its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its cords will be torn apart. Back to um, what, what the, uh, the meeting of the Lord was all, often called in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting. And so this tent imagery is brought forward as the church or as the people of God. And for us as a community, many of you guys know the promise that God gave us out of Isaiah 54, 
2 and 3, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out your curtains, spare not, lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs, for you'll spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your descendants will possess nations and resettle desolate cities. So we have a promise as a community as we attend to the Lord that God will stretch us and he will deepen and widen us and then people will go into our city and into their workplaces and into their homes and into our nation and into the nations of the world and they will literally resettle desolate cities and where Jesus is not, we will bring the glory of Jesus and where there is darkness, we will bring light. It's the calling of the New Testament believer in an Old Testament prophetic word, Isaiah 54, two and three. Now let me pause to uh, just say a couple things to everybody in this room and everybody listening online. God has a promise not just for Antioch Community Church and not just for uh, our family, etc. He has a promise for you. Every person made in the image of God by the hand of God has a promise from God, and it is good and not evil. His intention towards you is good and not evil. That does not make up for what people have done and the pain of life, and many times that clouds the promise of God. But God would reaffirm over and over again to his people, I'm here, my plans are for, are for you, and they are good and not evil, and you matter as much as anybody else on the planet. Believe me, trust me again, that I can take the ashes of your life and pick it up and make something new. And many times when we have had a promise that didn't work out the way we thought it would or something happened that, that uh, uh, caused us to be disappointed or to, to wonder if God even sees or God knows, what I've found through literally 40 years of walking with the Lord is that he will resurrect his promise in you if you will lean into him. If you'll trust him again, even though you don't understand, he will make a way and fulfill his promise through you. God's promises are sure and true for those who trust in him. One of the fun things I like to tell about when we built this building is we had literally a couple of thousand people write scriptures on the cement slab and on the posts and on the girders and Literally, there's a couple of thousand scriptures embedded in and around this, these walls. And I believe that gives God something to light on when we worship him. That we stand on the shoulders of people who have prayed for you and prayed that we as a people would be what God's called us to be and, and, and sacrificed and submitted so that we can enter in by the grace of God. So if rest is offered being a part of the people of God, then this next part is the promise of God is true. And I would put for those who trust. All right? We good? All right. What's the next part? But there the majestic one, the Lord will be for us a place of rivers and canals. I love that. There the majestic one, the Lord. The reason I, I always pause because I have found God to be greater than I could have ever imagined, bigger than I ever thought, and I'm just barely scratching the surface of seeing who he is. Let me say it this way. 
a common exercise that people do when they're trying to help people understand the character of God is they'll say, close your eyes and think of God and tell me the picture that you see. Great common exercise. Some people will say, oh, I see a grandfather that was really kind to me, or uh, I see a, a, a affirming father, or I see a blank. I've had that many times. I see nothing, or I see someone who abused me, or I see somebody who's distant. So we have the ugliness of that picture, and sometimes there's the beauty of that picture. But remember, whatever picture you come up with in your mind is incomplete without God speaking for himself. No matter how great you can think God is, he's greater than that. <laughs> no matter how much you can apply him to a natural figure, and I often say we have the ability housing the grace of God to be glimpses of glory to our children, to our friends, to our family, but we will never be God to them because that place is reserved for one, God himself. So we house and we reflect him as best we can, but it will be insufficient. That's why all of our kids need to be saved. No matter how great mom or dad are, they must be saved by the grace of God and encounter God because we are not enough even in our best attempts. But that's a beautiful thing. And the best thing you can give your kids is we are doing our best kids, but it's never going to be enough without Jesus in the center of your life because we are doing our best to partner with him, but you'll be complete in him when you come fully to to him. Everybody know what I'm saying, right? So when, when, when we stop here on this part of the surrender, I just want to highly admonish you that let this be the year where God reveals himself as he reveals himself, not as I want him to be. Um, one of my favorite passages is in the book of Revelation where John, the beloved, the one who said this about himself said, I was the one Jesus loved more than the others. John felt very loved and very close to Jesus. And then in the book of Revelation, he sees Jesus like he'd never seen him before. Hair like white as wool, uh, burning eyes of fire, feet of burnished bronze. He sees him as the God of the judge of all the earth. And he falls as a dead man because, oh my goodness, I knew you as the lover of my soul, but I didn't know you as the judge of all the earth. And now I have seen you and I fall down, not knowing what to do in the revelation of your bigness and your greatness. And I love it, Jesus looks up after all the glory fades here a moment and says, John, it's just me. Come on. I've got a work for you to do. And because he's seen Jesus in a fresh way, he is able to be trusted by the Holy Spirit to literally get the revelation, the book of revelation from God and be obedient and faithful to write that out as God would lead because he's met the God of all the earth. And the fear of the Lord is now married to the love of the Lord and the grace of God cannot be stopped. I'm talking in a lot of big things, but here's, here's just a very practical, I've mentioned this many times, but this is the year to actually do it, all right? If you say, I don't understand who God is, literally just Google, who is God, scriptures, <laughs> or God is Father, scriptures, and then just use that as a daily place to read, renew your mind, and then pray a prayer. God, show me who you are according to how you want to reveal yourself, not the way that I want you to be. 
we surrender our understanding of God to his revelation of himself so that we can get the help that we need and people can be blessed through our lives. Woo, that's big. So here's what happens. There, the majestic one, the Lord will be for us, a place of rivers and canals. So rivers and canals, this is the most beautiful side of it. Those are the ways forward. Those are the ways of escape. Those are the ways of help. They're, they're the rivers that lead to, to the, the right living, the way that God has for you. It's the, it's the plan to answer the questions we talked about at the beginning. Which way, Lord? What do I do here? What do I do there? Rock, wide rivers and wide canals are for those who set the Lord and enthroned him on high. He has a way for your deepest brokenness or your greatest desire. He has a way Forward. It says in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, do not call to mind former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new, 2023. Will you not be aware of it? I will make a roadway in the wilderness and a river in the desert. So wherever you find yourself, whether you got yourself there, somebody else got yourself there, or God has you there, however you interpret it, I'm telling you, as you exalt Jesus, put him in his rightful place, God has a way forward for you. He has wide canals and wide channels. I love reading stuff about the Panama Canal and the amount of sacrifice it took to get uh, to, to uh, get uh, the, the passageway from one continent to another. But the incredible things that have happened by that one kind of sacrificial journey that, that thousands upon thousands of people took has opened a roadway for trade and industry and help and hope and so many things. If that's one little natural thing that happens, how much more does God have reserved for the people of God who put him in his rightful place to lead us forward uh, in this hour. Now, this is where I'm going to put my little, uh, the way forward, right? Okay. All right. Now we've been messing around. We're going to get serious. You ready? Next one. On which no boat with oars will go and on which no mighty ship will pass. We'll finish it, the passage. For the Lord is our judge. He is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king and he will save us on which no boat with oars will go and on which no mighty ship will pass. Now, I shared this uh, about six weeks ago, but I want to remind us, or maybe for the first time, reintroduce that, and that is this. As we were seeking the Lord, God, what are you saying to us as a community for 2023? This unity word became so clear, and then God surprised us by saying, without surrender, you're not going to get there, gave us this passage to look at, and this simple phrase, you need to let go of the oar of your boat. You, you cannot self-direct your way to where I'm taking you in these coming days. Self-direction, self-leadership is not going to get you where he's wanting to take us. Let me give you another picture. Someone just in prayer had this impression, something like this, uh, uh, that Antioch was like a ship that was in, in the middle of the ocean, but kind of dead in the water. 
And it was that gentle, gentle rebuke of God. If you've ever read Revelation, the letters to the churches, uh, Jesus points out, hey, this is what's good about you guys. Here's the problem with you guys. If you'll repent, there'll be a double blessing or some unique blessing on the other side. And this, this kind of picture that someone had in prayer really spoke to that. And it was an affirmation and a correction. And in the picture, this ship's dead in the water, and it was like an affirming affirmation from the Lord. And I would affirm everyone here that's been a part of this community, hey, well done, guys. Thank you for loving. Thank you for serving. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for all you've done. And I've seen your heart. Your intention has been good. You, man, you're, you're here voluntarily, right? I know nobody's making you be here. So you want God. There's at least a desire in you, and God affirms that. Then in this picture, another ship shows up with Jesus as the captain of the ship, and he's calling people off of the ship of self-effort and saying, this is as far as you're going with what you have to give, but if you'd like to get on the boat with me and my full leadership, I'll take you beyond where you could ever have imagined. And of course, we get on his ship with him as the captain of the Lord of hosts. I love that word picture. Isn't that beautiful? Just kind of a, a picture to let us capture what is God trying to say this? And it's this whole idea of my self-effort. God still honors the heart intent, but it's never enough, especially when the currents and the wind and the waves come. We're going to talk about next week, Mark 6. If you want to read ahead, you can. Uh, we're going to talk about Mark 6 and the wind and the waves and the oars. But here's the deal. We all have that self-directed part of our life that we're trying to, um, to work out that in the end doesn't work. And when we hit the wall, we cry out to God, but what if we actually let go ahead of time and didn't have to hit the wall again? What if we let go of the oars? Well, in the middle of God speaking to us, and we had a large gathering with our leaders from around the world, and we, we uh, began to unpack this, and there was just such this cry in our hearts, yes, Lord, we want to let go of self-effort. We want to get, let go of the oars. God, we're exhausted. About that time, one of our friends, um, uh, been, been with us for years, uh, sent us a dream that he had that I think captures what I'm trying to say. So I'll just share a little bit of this. And he did not know, he was not at that event, did not know we had this phrase, let go of the oars. But here was his dream. He said, I, in a dream, I was in a canoe and I was paddling so hard, but I wasn't getting anywhere. This is a good brother, good-hearted man who's honored God with his life. But he said, it was exhausting. Anybody exhausted? Raise your hand. I'm in the canoe. I'm doing my best, but I'm exhausted with my activities. This represented, he, he, it, it, this represented my own works and agendas. He said, I felt led to surrender my oars into the river. What a unique phrase. There it is again. I felt led to let go, put my oars into the river. This was a Hebrews 6 moment where I was repenting of my dead works, my own way of trying to help God out, let alone the dark stuff of our lives. And Jesus told me in the dream, I want my church back. When Jesus describes himself as the captain of the Lord of hosts, Joshua says, who are you for? He said, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. 
Our disunity is because we've all gone into camps instead of come to Jesus. We're coming to Jesus. He's come to take over. Let's let him. So back to this experience. I want my church back, the Lord said. This is a time to lay down vain efforts and agendas. He's dealing with his people. Then a new current started to pull the canoe. It took a while for me to recognize the current. It was almost like the paddling had desensitized me to the current of the Spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just in it. You're grinding. You're doing the deal. You're running around in the minivan. You're doing the thing. You're doing whatever you're trying to do to, to, to honor God the best you know how, but you're exhausted and it's never enough. And what happens is when we don't listen for the moment-by-moment intimacy with God, the day by day, when we just take the orders and try to work it out in our own flesh, we run out of gas, you guys, and we desensitize ourselves to the the intimacy and tenderness of God. And then what happens, that catches up with us. And at the very least, we end up pulling back or giving up out of exhaustion. The very most, we find comfort in darkness and we find ourselves shipwrecked. And God does not have that for his people and he does not have that for us. We are not going to be desensitized in this hour. We're going to let go of the oars and reorient our hearts to him. I love this translation of Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 in the message. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Mmm. The shoe fits, wear it. Don't assume that you know it all, Jimmy. Uh, run to God and run from evil. Isn't that a great translation? So just to bring it down now to land it, what are some of the oars that people have been sharing that God has been speaking them to let go of? Of course, we're besetting sins. Those are Those are... Common things, of course, let go of evil, walk away from sin. But there's some deeper issues here, and I'll just kind of list a few. Um, uh, Carl's been sharing this uh, about uh, his own journey, is we are uh, letting go uh, of outcomes. We are letting go of outcomes that we desire. Basically, God, if I'm submitting and surrendering everything, then I don't get to choose the path or the outcome. And I am not holding on to an outcome that will make me surrender or follow you. I'm going to surrender and follow you and trust you with the outcomes that I can't control. And even if I could control them, I don't want to control them if I'm in the middle of it. I want you to control them. We are surrendering the outcomes to God so that he can be just not only the God who speaks to our hearts, but the God of the process. And wherever it lands, we will trust him. Um, We are letting go of our disappointments and expectations that cause us to draw away from God instead of near to God. Again, we could go on and on about so many disappointments, but the, the challenge is, is this self-pity never gets you to self, to, self-pity never gets you to righteousness or the right intended outcome of God. God is merciful and compassionate for your disappointments, but you've got to let them go and retrust for him to lead again in his way. Here's another one. We have to let go of the, the oars of unforgiveness, justified bitterness. Maybe 
I would say. And of course, these are common themes, but they're very specific to each one of us. Uh, I can't remember ever doing this, but I was a while back, was uh, doing a funeral, and there was some conflict in the family. And I, as I shared uh, the words of comfort and everything else, and I said, hey, if this precious individual was here alive today, what they would say to all of us is stop it. Let it go. Unforgiveness is not worth it. Let it go and reconcile. And I would say to you for 2023, let it go. It's not worth it. Come to God, to one another wherever possible, but let it go. Mainly the thing that I would want to make sure that you're hearing over and over again, ultimately we're letting go of the oars of a self-directed life. Letting go of the oars of a self-directed life. I am not God. I have chosen to make him God, submit my heart, and quit directing my life, but to allow him to direct everything and not just some things. And when that trust is there, he is so able to lead us in the way that he created us for because he has a promise for all of us in the journey. We'll let you fill in the blank as you seek the Lord. But one other thing I need to say is what is letting go of the oars not? What it is not is not irresponsibility for our assignment. When we let go of the oars, we do not let go of our covenant of marriage. We do not let go of our diligence to seek the Lord and honor him with our lives. We do not let go of what has already been written in the word of God. What we let go of is us directing our own lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it is actually, you're going to be a more honoring employee. You're going to be a more uh, honoring son. You're going to lean into God because you're letting go of the oars of self and laying a hold of the word of God as he leads and directs. We're not letting go of our assignment. If you're called to be a teacher at this time at fifth grade at an elementary school here in town, you are staying with that assignment all the way through. If the Holy Spirit is leading something else, it will be through you surrendering your education career, re-surrendering your position, your place. And if God chooses to resurrect it, then you joyfully will teach again. (laughs) And if he's redirecting, you will joyfully let it go. But we're not making, we're not minimizing our assignment as we're letting go of the oars. We're actually leaning more into God to lead us. I could say so many things about this, but remember, in the end, it is a dethroning of self and an enthronement of God that allows us to be saved, not just salvation by faith for our eternal destiny, but allows us to be saved from the anxiety and the pressure of self-direction and free to follow a God who leads us well, for he is king, Lord, judge, lawgiver, everything we need, and he will save us. All right. That was number two. Number three, I'm going to read a passage. We're going to take communion. Here's how we're going to respond to the message, and here's what I'm asking you to respond. Hopefully, there's already reflection going on inside. Where have I been self-directing, Lord? What or do I need to let go of? Where do I individually or me and my, my, my spouse or friends or roommates, how can we as a community lean in here? So that is one thing we're asking the Lord about. And um, I was on a call with about 60 leaders from the body of Christ, predominantly non-Western, non-Americans, um, 
from, from around the world representing the body of Christ. And they were, they were talking about what is God saying to the body of Christ? And one of the clarion words was that it's a year of communion. It's a unity and communion. I was so encouraged. I said, yay. And then they said, but their admonition was this, that every time you take communion, let that be a reminder of, uh, of our disunity so that we can unify and come together for such a time as this. So the literal act of communion is where we examine our hearts and we say, God, where am I disunified with you? I confess my sin and I re- recommit my union with God. Lord, where am I disunited in disunity with the body? I confess my sin and where possible I make it right, but I reunify as a being a part of the body. And then Lord, where am I in disunity with your purpose and plan for my life, and I want to get on that plan again. So communion is a literal physical act to remember the Lord and all that he's done and remember the covenants that he has called us to. So let me read a passage of scripture, and then we'll respond. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which, uh, uh, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance from me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, hang on here, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man, woman, that's mankind, must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That is a heavy scripture, excuse me, scripture. But why would I bring up the fullness of that scripture today as we take communion? Because God's grace has to be acknowledged when we come to the table of the Lord. When he speaks of these consequences, he's speaking of it to actually get turn you to grace. So basically he's saying, I've forgiven you. Now forgive others so that grace flows in your relationship. I have, my blood's been shed for you. Therefore acknowledge my grace towards you for your sicknesses and your brokenness in life. Let it go, your own surrender life to me, and let go of others and bless them so that my grace can flow so that you don't live under the curse but under the blessing of God. And in these moments, in this moment right now, come to the table of the Lord. We're gonna do a little worship here in a moment, but just simply say, and, and, and for me, I usually get on my knees or something. There's nothing about it except it just helps me posture myself. And I say, Lord, search me and try me. Lord, where am I out of sync with you? This isn't where we fix everything. This is where we confess everything, right? We're receiving the bread and the cup as grace to us and others, uh, not as works, so, Lord, I confess, this is where I've been out of step with you as you've revealed it. And, Lord, I don't, want to, I don't want that. I want to be with you. And, okay, Lord, is there anybody that I'm wrong with? Anything? So, Lord, I bless this one. I bless that one. I forgive this one again. Again, that doesn't take care of the process that may be needed, but it does agree with the Lord that, hey, I want to make this right, and I bless them and forgive them by faith, even though there may be a process.
And then, Lord, I want to be at one with you and your purpose and plan for my life. And so I just renew my covenant with you again today. And thank you. Thank you for grace. Amen. Hope that's enough direction. And today we'll do it as you are ready. You take the cup and you take uh, the juice. As you take the bread and the wine by faith, do that as your own journey before God or maybe with your spouse or friends you came with. Uh, And we're just going to let God do his work. On the sides over here, some of our pastors will be available. If you're sick in your body, if you're far from the Lord, or if you need to know Jesus, just come up, talk to us. Don't let anybody keep you from getting the help you need. But first, we're coming to drop the oars and come to the table of the Lord right now. Spirit of God, pour yourself out. Search us and try us. And may the grace of God abound among us. In Jesus' name.